Okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3 today in the Gospel of Luke. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me to Luke chapter 3. But I'm going to go ahead and review real quick what we went over uh, last week in chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 1 and 2 were the birth of both John the Baptist and our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. And our Lord and Savior's birth was the birth that shook the world. It shook the world of all those around at that time. It caused King Herod, this wicked king, to, to go in an uproar when they found out who was now inhabiting their area. It, it caused angels to come down and sing the praises to a bunch of shepherds that had to run and see for themselves the birth of the Messiah. And it caused a celebration like no other for all of mankind because he had arrived 2,000 years ago. And if you were following along, it was the most humble birth of all. Our Lord and Savior was born in a manger. He wasn't born in a hospital like regular children most, most nowadays. He was born in a manger because there was no room in an inn. And he grew up, as the Bible said in, Luke, in Luke's gospel, it said that he grew up to be strong in stature and wisdom. And in the last, uh, in the end of the book, there kind of spoke of his uh, of his youth a little bit at the age of twelve, when Jesus had gotten lost uh, during the uh, during one of the feasts, the Passover feast, and and his parents Mary and Joseph were looking diligently for him, and they found him over in the temple speaking to the uh, to the head rabbis in there. As, he, as they were astonished by this 12-year-old's knowledge, probably not even having any clue who it was that they were talking to, obviously. You know, it's interesting. I remember hearing a story about a, a pastor in England who happened to have been in, uh, he was in a gym one day. And he got to work out with somebody pretty special, according to the, uh, according to the people of England there. He, was, he didn't know who he was. He was working out with one of the top rugby players in the United Kingdom. And he had no idea who he was. He caught his name, but he didn't know who he was working out with. He didn't know who he was talking with. And when he had mentioned to the people around him, uh, and he mentioned the name of this person that he got to witness to, the people chuckled and said, Do you have any idea who it was that you were working out with? And he says, No, I never followed the sport. But I think a lot of people at the time in the town of Nazareth where our Lord was born and raised, not born, he was born in Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth, had no idea who it was that they were living next to. These scholars, these, these rabbis, had no idea who it was that was astonishing them with his knowledge in the temple. When he, went, when he disappeared for the three days and he told his parents that why were you searching for me because I'm about my father's work. They had no idea who it was that was building their furniture as Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth and, and being trained by his adopted father Joseph as a carpenter which is what Joseph was as well in their trade. He was a carpenter, so he built furniture. So nobody had, a, nobody had a clue who they were dealing with. Nobody had a clue who they were living next to. It's said that he, that he had favor with all people for the most part. 
Because let's face it, our Lord and Savior is perfect. He was the only one, the only one perfect to ever walk on the face of the earth. And so, yes, he did find favor with the people at the time. We didn't really have any accounts of his life, and I wish we did, because sometimes we become very obsessed with people. And we want to know everything about this certain person, maybe somebody who's famous in our eyes. But I tell you, if we're going to be obsessed with anybody, why not be obsessed with Christ Jesus? Because... He deserves to be obsessed about. Not another mere mere human that's going to disappoint you. You know, I've always been curious about the past of my parents and my father and uh, my father being born in England. I've never been to England before. But it was just interesting to be able to go and, and, and see pictures on satellite, on the computer of where my dad lived as a little boy on the, on the streets of England, as he showed me as we were scrolling through on, on the computer, the street where he lived on, as he, would, as he would show me where he would ride his bike with his friend at the little candy shop, which was right up the street, and I believe it was still there. And, and for me, there was this sense of excitement to have known a little bit about something about my father's childhood. And I have the same exact passion to want to know that about my Lord and Savior. But I tell you, I, I, the important thing is making it to heaven, and that way I'll be able to find out everything when I get there. But nobody had an idea who it was that was near them. In Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3 jumps ahead to the point of where Jesus has turned about 30 years old as he starts his ministry now. So chapters 1 and 2 show his birth and and a very small section of his youth. Now we're going straight into chapter 3 where it shows Christ coming onto the scene in his ministry at the age of 30. We're also going to see John the Baptist who was also mentioned in chapters 1, when, when the angel came to speak to his father, Zechariah, the priest, and said that you're, you're going to have a son because his wife was barren and could not have children. But you're not just going to have a son. You're going to have somebody special too here. He's going to be one who paves the way to make known of who's coming, who's on their way, the Lord and Savior. And that would be John the Baptist, his technically his cousin by relation. And I'm going to explain that here as we go on. But if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3, starting off in verses 1 through 6. It says, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod being uh, the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of uh, Iteria, in the region of Trachonidas, and uh, Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So Luke gives the account of the uh, of the area's rulers of the time. 
Tiberius was the Roman emperor. Uh, we had Pilate. He was the Roman governor responsible for the area of Judea. Uh, there was Herod Antipas and Philip, uh, who were half-brothers from their, uh, from their father, the wicked Herod the Great, who had been dead for about 20 years or more at this time. So then the high priests which under Jewish law had supposed uh, which had supposed to be one of uh, one of them okay there was only supposed to be one who was appointed by the line of Aaron who was the brother of Moses but at this time the religious system had become corrupt uh, the Roman government was appointing their own religious leaders to control the Jewish people but what's neat to see is that these officials are being upstaged by this loner prophet in the desert wearing camel hair and surviving on locust and honey, preaching in the wilderness to those passing by the message of repentance. Uh, John was living the prophecies, right? The last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, and, and also the prophet Isaiah, speaking of the forerunner, John the Baptist, which in these, days, uh, in these days kings would have messengers to prepare the roads for their arrival, uh, as, they would, as they would go ahead of the road announcing that the king was coming in his arrival. John the Baptist was doing the same thing. See, John the Baptist could actually be seen as like what we would call an evangelist. He was the original evangelist who was uh, calling all to receive the salvation of Christ Jesus. He was there to introduce the Savior of the world. And if you heard the last message of chapter 1 and 2, the Lord Jesus was related to John the Baptist as his mother Mary and John's mother Elizabeth were sisters. So that would make them cousins by human relation. But uh, John the Baptist, what's amazing was that he never made known, he never made known in the form of bragging that he was related as his cousin. In which we will see his humility and why Christ himself said that John the Baptist was the greatest man that he ever knew. Now that there has to speak volumes coming from the only one who was perfect to walk the face of the earth. See, people knew that the Messiah would come. They didn't know when, but John the Baptist was there to introduce him. That was his calling and his purpose. And, and second, he was there to help people prepare their lives. To prepare for Christ to come to us. You know, we, we must be prepared to focus on Him. And I'll repeat that. To prepare for Christ to come to us, we must be prepared to focus on Him. And, and that's what John was doing. One crying in the wilderness. Not bringing the spotlight upon himself. A calling of repentance. Turning away from the sins that bring us down. And then turning toward God. Which is what repent means. It means to turn back. Okay, it's kind of like driving down a dead-end road. You know, Christ came to give the ability to make a U-turn, to show the way. John the Baptist is putting up the signs. That's what he's doing. But Christ was giving the ability and the pathway to return to the Father through him. As we continue here in verse 7, we're, we're going to see the boldness of one John the Baptist here. <laughs> Let's take a look at verses 7 through 13. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. 
For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, He who has two uh, tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collector also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed to you. John the Baptist was definitely one to say it like it is. You know, he, he wouldn't be popular in a lot of churches or ministries today. <laughs> he, wasn't, he definitely wasn't then either, which is why he was out in the wilderness doing what he was doing. But he called them out on what they were and why they were there. See, it had to be a shock to hear from a fellow Jew, the son of a priest, that having Abraham as a father, founder of the, of the Hebrew nation and as well as many nations, was not the ticket to salvation as many believed and taught in those days. In some people, they probably showed just to be baptized by John, okay, without even believing in the Lord. So by this act from John the Baptist, I can avoid eternal punishment. Again, why he said what he said, you brood of vipers, what if, why are you here? See, but shock had to come into their minds because the, the religion was inherited by their beliefs. You know, he was there to make known that the personal relationship with, with God was not handed down compared to that of, of being handed down religion by relationship to your parents. It was a personal decision, one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. And, and that person. See, God is looking for a reforming over a ritual done out of obligation or tradition. But there was a question from those who showed up, and he, and he addressed those by their occupations. He, he first spoke to the tax collectors. <laughs> you know, don't take more than what is appointed to you. Now, why would he say that to them? Because tax collectors were employed by Roman government. They were basically allowed to charge whatever they wanted for what they were doing. And they were able to get away with it by a government standpoint, but not a divine spiritual one. You know, in fact, the tax collectors were ostracized by, their, uh, by the Jewish people because they were ripping off their own people. Their pay was based off of what they charged each person, person there. Uh, some of these poor people could have had everything taken uh, from them come collection time. It was a free-for-all of advantage-taking. In fact, they were even charging a, a temple tax, the government, the Roman government at the time, where they went to worship, okay, they were charged a tax, and the insult to injury was years later in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed by the Romans, and, and they were still charged a temple tax by the Roman officials, even though the temple was completely destroyed and they had no place to go to worship. See, these were tough times. And praise God for John the Baptist and in his boldness to not just call them out, but to give them also an instruction on integrity. What he was doing there was he, was he wasn't just calling them out on what needed to be said. He was also giving them a little bit of instruction on that of integrity.
So as we continue in verse 14, another group were with the tax collectors. So it seems to me like all, all sorts of people were showing up of sorts. John uh, looked up at them and called them all a brood of vipers. In the other Gospels, too, you had another uh, sect called the Pharisees. These were the, the religious uh, leaders, if you will, who upheld the laws of the Jewish laws in these days. And, and they, too, were basically creating their own system. It was a very corrupt time at this time. And John the Baptist, he would, he would do what you would call shooting from the hip. <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't let, uh, he didn't let anything stop him from saying what he had to say, but it's going to get interesting here in verses 14 to 18. It says, Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the shaft he will burn with an unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. So again here, all sorts came... And, and even the Roman soldiers were there. And, and like the tax collectors, he addressed them in their own practices. He said, do not intimidate people, which was, again, very common for Roman soldiers to do. These were big guys, very intimidating, and they were fierce warriors. Uh, John wasn't rebuking the tax collectors and the soldiers for their occupation. But he, he was rebuking them on what they were doing in lack of integrity. It, it's not what you do, but how you do it. See, everything we do is, is by the will of God. If, you, if you're a police officer, a firefighter, whether you're a cab driver, whether you're an executive in a business, you are doing so in the will of God. By the will of God. And with every profession comes a form of integrity which must be practiced in order for us to continue in strength and in truth. And... and these guys showed up to a good place and a good person to hear this from. Now, whether they listened or not, that's another story. But if they were there for baptism to hear this, then we, we would assume and hope that maybe they were. Now, as for himself, he had to explain his task, being John the Baptist. John was the first prophet to come on the scene since the prophet Malachi, which was the last book in the Old Testament, 400 years before the birth of Christ. And, and when John came on the scene, it was a sense of excitement, as some mistaken John as the Messiah. Uh, the way he spoke with such wisdom and authority, it would be easy for people to think that. But it was his humility that stood out more than anything. You know, he was called as, uh, as one who baptizes in water. Uh, the water immersion that was a representation of leaving the old person behind. He said Christ will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And the Holy Spirit baptism did come in the book of Acts. 
And if, uh, if you've ever read that, you know what I'm talking about on the day of Pentecost. In the beginning of Acts, I believe it was chapter 2. We'll get there one day ourselves, Lord willing. <laughs> but the winnowing fan is in his hand, he said. It's a message of Christ being able to separate the real from the fake. The, the, the shaft from the wheat. Uh, the, winnowing, the winnowing fan was like a pitchfork of sorts that would be used to uh, toss wheat as kernels would separate from the blades. And what they would do is they would throw the wheat in the air to, to uh, put it in a pile while the shaft would blow away in the wind. And then the baptism by fire was a sign of purifying. And it was also a sign of destroying what was unpure material. Just like refining of gold. He, he speaks of a purging of all things not pure. You, you see, water can only wash something temporarily. Can't even always wash something thoroughly. And John's task was a wonderful one, though. But I've had the, I've had the blessing and the honor of baptizing some people myself. And mine and my wife's baptism was a moment of divine appointment that I will never forget. But the receiving of Christ Jesus in repentance was the greatest moment that I ever had. The, the once and for all seal of approval and a ticket to eternal salvation was the repentance Okay, the repentance holds value in God's eyes because you have proclaimed that you are His child now. The beginning of a new life and service to the Lord is the most fulfilling thing that anyone can, uh, can achieve. And may you remember that if you've not received. This, this isn't meant, the Bible's not meant just for a good read. It's, it's meant to bring people to the Lord and to equip the saints and to show who God is and what God is doing. And it's also to show what's to come too, which is what we see in prophecy. So may, may you be touched by the Holy Spirit as we continue to read on in verse 19 to 22. It says, But Herod, the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother, Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut up John in prison. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. As I had mentioned, John was very outspoken. Uh, just to explain, he called out Herod the Tetrarch for sinful relations with Herodias. He was, <laughs> he was her uncle and it was his brother's wife who he had taken as his own. And, and John confronted him on the issue, and he got put in prison for it. See, the Herods were a very treacherous family. Uh, family. Uh, they were probably worse than anything you've ever seen in movies. But right now, where I want to focus on is, uh, is on him, our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, being baptized. Christ shows up at the river, and in the Gospels it said that John was surprised at the request. In the other Gospels... When Jesus showed up on the scene to be baptized, he, he said, you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. 
Well, why do so if, if he was without sin? You know, a lot of questions have happened uh, over the years. Why would Jesus himself come to be baptized when this was a form of, of repentance of sin? Well, I, I mentioned that Luke's gospel in the previous uh, chapter represented the human side of Christ. See, uh, the four gospels had their representations. You take Matthew, who represented his messianic kingship. You take Mark, who represented the works of Christ and everything he did. You could take Luke, who really represented his manhood and in, in, rep, in representation of, of man. And then you take John, who focused on his deity. So what we're looking at here in Luke's gospel was his, his, uh, he did it to be identified with man. That was one of the things why he came to be baptized. To be identified with man. His timing was perfect. As this was the beginning of his ministry. And also doing what he came to do on earth. He did it to give an example. He did it to be, to be identified with man. He gave it to, did it to be an example to us. And by that, God descended from heaven in the form of a dove, one of the most gentle creatures created, descended upon the Lord. And the voice of God appeared and said, This is my beloved Son, which is also stated in the other Gospels. And it also stated that they all fell on their faces in fear by his voice. See, he did all this, uh, he, he did this all on our behalf even humbling himself to be recognized with us, except he was more humble than anyone on earth. Now, in the rest of uh, verses 23 through 38, which is exactly how far this uh, chapter goes, Luke recorded the names of our Lord's genealogy from the genealogy of his mother Mary. So the rest of the chapter from 23 to, uh, to 38 is the is basically the genealogy and the names of everybody from our Lord and Savior. The, the, the records of, of his uh, genealogy from his mother Mary. Uh, Matthew also records his genealogy from Joseph's line, his adopted father. Now, though he was an adopted father, it was customary back in these days to document from the father's line in a Jewish standpoint. But we know that he was not a blood-related father. But Luke... See, Luke being a Greek and a non-Jew, seeing the importance of the lineage of his mother. And both, both are traced from the line of King David, who was promised the Messianic line. Both gospel, or in Matthew's gospel and Luke showed that even from Joseph, who was his adopted father, and from Mary, that he was adopted or from an adopted father and from his birth mother that he came from the Davidic line which was exactly what was supposed to happen and what's interesting too was on Mary's side you would you could see that there was a relation to Levi who was the the founder of the Levites the Levitical priesthood if you look, if we were to look at her sister Elizabeth's lineage, she came from that, from the, from Levi as well, as it said. So our our Lord and Savior had priestly and king relations from the priest and from the King David. 
And in fact, we, we, we look at Luke, who traced his line all the way. Luke traced his line all the way from Adam, where Matthew started from, uh, from Abraham. Now again, Matthew's gospel was targeted to a Jewish audience. But Christ himself was universal. His presence and his lifeblood was for all. See, we're brought together by him. He is our father. And everyone that receives him is like a firstborn child. <laughs> it's kind of like a sense of joy like no other. We all get to become a part of him when we receive him. And as I said, though he had a Jewish lineage, he was universal. His blood was spilled for universal saving. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him shall have everlasting life and shall not perish. And that's why, again, why this is being done. And I thought fitting again to go into one of the Gospels with the hope of making known our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Why? Because again, He came to save the world. You know, it makes you wonder at times just what kind of, of Lord that we worship. He, he possessed great power and wisdom, but, but He willingly humbled Himself for our salvation. And then eventually, we're going to get there sometime soon, but he, he eventually died on a cross, a criminal's death on a cross. As he lived with us for a time, he suffered and died for us during 2,000 years ago. And just as Jesus first came to ordinary people, God appears to ordinary people today. So may we take heart to the coming of our Lord as He's going to return one day, as the Bible says. And I want to give the opportunity to right now to receive Him. Because I don't know if I've ever asked the question whenever I've given the opportunity for our Lord and Savior to be received. If you were to die tomorrow, would you be able to say that I know where I'm going within two different eternities. Well, I want to give the opportunity to be able to say I know where I'm going to be because I have given my life and my heart to the Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity now to be able to say that I am of Him and my eternity is secure. So if you want... If you feel led, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And if you meant it in your heart, you will now have the Lord living in you. So let's say this prayer together. Dear God, please forgive me. Please forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you that I am a sinner. Please cleanse me of all of my sins. And I thank you for dying on the cross, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you would receive me now as one of your children, Father. As I receive you as my Lord, my Savior, and my Father. And I thank you for having me. I thank you for dying for me, Lord. And may I walk closely with you all the days of my life. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it's the greatest thing to be able to to end with the hopes of somebody giving their life to the Lord. Now, you know, I've said in the past that, you know, we might not all be uh, related by blood. But thanks to Him, we are related by blood, by His blood. So I want to welcome you to the family. He wants to welcome you into eternity. So I pray that you will walk closely and that you will be guided by Him as you draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. May God bless you.